Ezekiel chapter 1. We're going to actually uh, <clears throat> continue on from where we left off last time, which was actually a, a pretty much a, 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 an introduction and, um, and a background to the book of Ezekiel. Uh, we're not going to spend any, too much time with that other than the fact that the, um, the book itself uh, was written and came to Ezekiel, the prophecy came to Ezekiel while he was in captivity in Babylon. And we'll talk a little bit about that as we get into it. But I'd like to start reading in verse 1. So here we go. All right. See, now I'm having to look back, but I don't have to look back anymore. Sneak things in here on you. I'm going to try to do that here with wisdom. Now it came to pass in the 30th year, in the fourth month, in the fifth day of the month, as I was among the captives by the river of Kebar, that the heavens were opened and I saw visions of God. In the fifth day of the month, which was the fifth year of King Jehoiakim's, Jehoiakim's captivity, remember his father was Jehoiakim, the word of the Lord, verse 3, there we go, the word of the Lord came expressly unto Ezekiel the priest, the son of Buzi, in the land of the Chaldeans, the Babylonians, by the river Kebar. And the hand of the Lord was there upon him. It may be wise for us tonight to lay a foundation for this evening's study with various scriptures pertaining to the things of God that, that seem very hard for man to describe, much less understand. And I say that because we know that... Um, most of the prophets, when receiving prophecies from the Lord, they were doing things that were somewhat current to them, but then they would, they would have to say things that were actually dealing with times that were much more in the future than they expected. And so uh, they saw things that uh, they uh, could only describe in, in the words of man. And, and this, this is where we are with Ezekiel tonight. But I want, but I want to give some, some scriptural background to that because, first of all, in Deuteronomy chapter 29, verse 29, we're told, the secret things belong unto the Lord our God. But those things which are revealed belong unto us and to our children forever, that we may do all the words of of this law. So you'll notice the secret things belong to the Lord. There's, there's going to be a lot of things we don't understand. And we're going to learn things as we go along in our daily walk as believers in Jesus Christ. But there will still be things if, you know, if the Lord tarries and we're still here another 10 years, we're going to learn stuff and we'll still not know the secret things of God until we get to heaven. But the things that we have revealed to us now, those belong to us. The wisdom, the truth, the understanding, the things that God makes very clear to us, those belong to us now. That's an exciting thing, isn't it? Because we have something to build our lives upon. That's the Word of God. So that's a good thing. Then I want you to remember Jesus back in the, in, in the Gospel of John when we uh, studied about a few months ago, but we were studying in John chapter 3 about a meeting that he had with a man named Nicodemus. And Nicodemus came to him by night and, and uh, but Jesus told him something in, in, in uh, this very same vein. If you'll turn to John chapter 3, verse, uh, verse 11, we'll start right there. It's a, uh, Jesus said to Nicodemus, he said, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, we speak that we do know. In other words, he's saying, of course, speaking of himself and, and, and uh, you know, the disciples as they were going out preaching the gospel and all. But also what he says, we, with he and his Father and the Spirit of God. As I say unto thee, we speak that we do know, and testify that we have seen, and you receive not our witness. If I have told you earthly things, and you believe not. 
how shall you believe if I tell you heaven, uh, tell you of heavenly things? So he, he was, he was kind of laying out this thing with, with Nicodemus that, that was saying to him, hey, listen, you're not listening to me even in things you do understand. What if I started telling you things that you, that you wouldn't understand? You know, I mean, it, that'd be worse in a sense. The Apostle Paul also touched on this principle when he wrote in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 9-12. through 12. And he said, But as it is written, I hath not seen, nor ear heard, neither has entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for them that love him. But notice what he says in verse 10. Because here in verse 10 he says, But God has revealed them unto us by his Spirit, for the Spirit searches all things, yea, the deep things of God. For what man knoweth the things of a man, save the spirit of man which is in him? Even so, notice, the things of God knoweth no man, but the Spirit of God. But the Spirit of God. So things that are revealed to us are revealed to us by the Spirit of God. But then he says in verse 12, Now we have received... Not the spirit of the world, but the spirit which is of God, that we might know the things that are freely given to us by God. Now, that could take us all the way back to Deuteronomy 29. The things that are secret of God, you know, they're his, and, but the things that have been revealed, they're for us. But for us to understand even the things that are revealed, we need the spirit of God. And so, let it be our prayer tonight that the Lord would grant us his wisdom and understanding in dealing with his wonderful and awesome prophecy. But for the complete background to the book of Ezekiel, if you would, please refer to last week's study, either by CD or the live stream archive, because it's on there from last week. So if you need to go back to see it, we would encourage you to do that. But the prophet Ezekiel was taken in the second captivity. Remember, there were two captivities. There was one. There were three invasions of, of uh, Judah and Jerusalem by Nebuchadnezzar. In the first uh, captivity that uh, they took people from Judah and Jerusalem to Babylon. Daniel uh, was one that went in that first captivity. Ezekiel went in the second captivity at the time when the puppet king Jehoiakim was also taken captive to Babylon by Nebuchadnezzar. Now remember that Daniel was taken in that first captivity. So there, there's, uh, we, we're not really sure if Daniel and Ezekiel ever, ever see each other. Uh, it's possible, but but we're not really sure that they did. And there's a little bit of a time factor as well. But it's, it's possible. And then Ezekiel was called to prophesy to the captives. And when he began his prophetic ministry, Jerusalem, by the way, was still standing. Now, I made reference to that last week, but I, I want to make more reference of it tonight because we're laying a little bit more foundation for the understanding of this book. It's, it is significant to know at this point that there were false prophets in Babylon that were telling the people this. The false prophets, the false prophets were saying to the people, don't listen, don't, don't get comfortable here in Babylon. Don't settle down here. Don't go through the trouble of building or getting a house. The Lord spoke and He said, He's going to deliver His people and we're going to return from Babylon very shortly and then God's going to deal with Babylon. He's going to destroy it. That was what they were being told. Not only in Babylon, but even in Jerusalem, because there were still those that were still going to go. And there were false prophets in Jerusalem as well. But the prophet Jeremiah, the prophet Jeremiah prophesied against these false prophets. Now I would draw your attention to look at this later, but it's uh, Jeremiah 27 through 29. Read that uh, portion there. There's others in the book of Jeremiah. But read those chapters, chapters 27 to 29, because in those chapters, you will see where the false prophets are being called out for what they're saying. But he would contradict these prophets. I'm talking about Jeremiah. Jeremiah would contradict these prophets by telling the people they'd better settle down. They better settle down in Babylon. Now, folks, let me, let me, let me just interject this because I want you to realize something. The false prophets sounded pretty good. Listen, don't settle down because God's going to deliver us. He really loves us. So he's going to deliver us. But what was the problem, folks? The problem was that the people had rebelled against God and they had uh, just, you know, just lived the lives of, uh, 
rebellion. They lived lives of rebellion against God. And they hadn't repented of their sin. And God had warned them through the prophets that he was going to bring judgment upon them. So Nebuchadnezzar's breathing down their necks, and, he, and, and, and so uh, they say, well, yeah, we're, gonna, we're probably going to go into captivity. Well, then they went into captivity. They said, well, yeah, but we're not going to be here long. You see the, the thing. Okay, well, God's going to rescue you. But there hadn't, been any, there hadn't been any repentance of heart. There hadn't been renewal of their hearts or anything of that sort. So listen in Jeremiah 29. In verses 8 through 14, it says, For, for thus saith the Lord of hosts. Now, now here's Jeremiah speaking. He says, Let not your prophets and your diviners that be in the midst of you deceive you, neither hearken to your dreams which you cause to be dreamed. For they prophesy falsely unto you in my name. I have not sent them saith the Lord. For thus saith the Lord, that after 70 years, not in a couple of years, not in a few months, he says, for after 70 years be accomplished at Babylon, I will visit you and perform my good work toward you in causing you to return to this place. For I know the thoughts that I think towards you, saith the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you an expected end, to give you a future and a hope. And then shall you call upon me, and you shall go and pray unto me, and I will hearken unto you, and you shall seek me. And find me when you shall search for me with all your heart. And I will be found of you, saith the Lord. And I will turn away your captivity. And I will gather you from all the nations and from all the places whither I have driven you, saith the Lord. And I will bring you again into the place whence I caused you to be carried away captive. So we shall see that at the beginning of his, his prophecies, he predicts the destruction of Jerusalem. Now I'm talking about Ezekiel. Ezekiel is going to begin by dealing with the destruction of Jerusalem. and the defeat of, of Judah through the discipline of God upon them. And he, as, he, as he goes further into his prophecy, the prophecy is fulfilled and Jerusalem is destroyed, prompting a change which follows with Ezekiel encouraging the people that God in time was going to restore the glory to Israel again. Now we hear that in the prophecy of, of, uh, of Jeremiah. In fact, we hear it in all the prophets. You see, here in Isaiah and in Jeremiah and Ezekiel, Daniel, the hope. But you can't put the cart before the horse. You can't put the hope before the, before the awakening, before the judgment has to come. God's a holy God, and, and, and this, is, this is one of the points that we need to understand about the prophets. Is that God, they're, they're, going to, they're going to preach a message that says God's a holy God. And you haven't respected God, you haven't reverenced God in His holiness by living the kind of lives that you've been living, knowing what the truth is, yet you've rejected the truth. Or you put the truth aside. The prophecies, as we shall see, will go out beyond even our present day. There are going to be things that are yet to happen that we're going to see in the book of Ezekiel. Ezekiel saw the restoration of the land. That's been done. Ezekiel saw the nation reborn. That's been accomplished. The state of Israel, 1948. 
and the adversaries of Israel in the last days prior to second, the second coming of Jesus, the Messiah of Israel. That's starting to be built up today. Actually, it's been going on for a while, but, but we're seeing more clearly the enemies of Israel uh, being more distinct in, in, in who they are. And that's leading to some of the prophecies that we're going to read and study in the book of Ezekiel. That's why this book is so important for us to study. So the prophet saw visions of God. Let's, let's go back to verse 1 there for just a moment. The prophet saw visions of God. Isaiah had a vision of God, and I'll share that with you in, in just a minute. John had a vision of the throne of God. They, they all saw the heavenly scene. And hence, describe what they saw of heavenly things with only the words they knew in earthly language. Oh, how they and we need the help of the Holy Spirit in our understanding, because the passage that we're going to look at tonight, and we're going to go through first, uh, uh, all the rest of the chapter, chapter 1, and actually go into chapter 2 as well. As well. And, and, of course, we're going to finish it no matter what time it is tonight. Okay, I'll let you know. But if you'll go to verse 4 now, we're going to study verse 4. And I looked, Jeremiah writes, and behold, a whirlwind came out of the north, a great cloud and a fire enfolding itself, and a brightness was about it. And out of the midst thereof as the color of amber, out of the midst of the fire. Ezekiel diligently observed the things that he saw in the vision. A whirlwind that denotes the indignation and judgments of God. Yes, when we, I mentioned this last week. When, when we see whirlwinds usually in Scripture, what, what we find is, is, is uh, some uh, understanding that there is some judgment that's to come. Remember one of the things that we, we mentioned last time. If you sow to the wind, you will reap the whirlwind. And that's just one, one passage. So uh, there's a few others when we see the word whirlwind there. So we understand that now the, the picture of the whirlwind is there. And that's pretty clear that it, that it is something that represents judgment to come. The description, as we shall see, continues to be based around the statement, And I saw visions of God. So that, that's really the, the, the key verse for us understanding the rest of this chapter. The judgment upon God's people would be executed and enforced by the vessel of his choice, this being the Babylonian Empire, which would have come and did come from the north in their advance toward Judah and Jerusalem. Now there are some people who believe that uh, the mention of the north is actually to say, well, this is the direction from which God comes. And there have been some scientists that say, you know, there's some kind of a, you know, a wormhole or black space out there that, uh, that's kind of close to the North Star. You know, this may be, you know, how God will come through. Well, that's, that's possible. But, but still, when we look more closely at, 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 at this, at the context of the chapter, we realize God brings Babylon. They do come from the east, but their approach to the land of Judah comes down, or actually from this direction, down into, uh, into, Jeru into Israel or, uh, and, and Judah this way. So uh, that's more than likely what we saw. And then I, I mentioned last week that, of course, when we think God's in the midst of that, you know, how can God be coming to, to destroy his own people? But the fact of the matter is he already warned them that uh, judgment was coming and judgment was going to come through the Babylonians. Uh, remember our study in Habakkuk. You know, and, and what the warning was to the, to the prophet about telling the people, listen, this judgment's going to come, and he tells them who's going to bring it. So, in, in, in essence, even the Lord is in control of everything that is happening for the sake of bringing his people back to him. So, the enfolding fire now, the, the mention of the enfolding fire. I don't know if you've ever seen movies where they have these big fires. And have you ever seen those big rolls of fire that, that uh, seem to like, they're, they're like big blankets that are befolding up and they just get bigger and bigger? There's a word for it. I don't know. I just call it enfolding because that's in the Bible there. So it just, what it is, is just all of this, this flame that with, with all of the uh, air that's being 
brought into the situation. It, it just causes these big, big, huge waves of fire. Well, this, this is what's unfolding here, the unfolding fire that's happening as, as this vision of, of God uh, that uh, Ezekiel sees uh, was, uh, was indicative of, of God's avenging justice, avenging justice, even upon his own people, whom he had warned of not forgetting their covenant with him. And, and he reminded them this. I mean, this goes all the way back to Moses. It goes all the way back to the book of Deuteronomy. In Deuteronomy chapter 4, notice that it says there, for the Lord, in verse 24, for the Lord thy God is a consuming fire, even a jealous God. And, 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 and the word jealous here is, is, is saying, listen, I'm your God. I, want, I don't want any, there's no other competition to me. I, I alone am your, am your God. And, and you all are going after other gods. You're, going, you know, you, you're, try, you're trying to break the covenant that we've made together. So he's actually speaking to his own people. And this was hundreds of years before this happens. Thousands of years, in a sense. So there's that fire that is, that is indicative of this kind of avenging justice that has to come to awaken his people. The brightness describes God's holiness working in his justice. The brightness of, 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 the, of the vision that, uh, that uh, Ezekiel sees, it mentions an amber color. The amber color itself is, is more like a, a, a brass or bronze that's, that's on fire. And if you've ever seen that, it glows with an amber color at, at a certain point. And the, and the amber color that's mentioned may refer to the Jewish people themselves who were being purified by the fire of affliction. And then we get to this whole big picture that we, that we actually went through last week. So we're going to take our time to get through it. We'll just read it. And again, you'll see why we don't want to spend a whole lot of time on it. Because here again, all we're hearing and, 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 and seeing is, is what Ezekiel saw and mentions to us in his own language, in a language that we can understand, in other words, in, in earthly language, because what he saw was just too awesome. It was, it was, it was in, in a sense, it, it, it had this uh, terrifying effect as well in seeing, you know, this vision of God. But uh, verse 5, let's go back to Ezekiel 1, verse 5, and it says here, also out of the midst there, thereof came the likeness of four living creatures. So it is a vision. A vision very similar to the vision of John in, in the book of Revelation. And we'll, we'll compare that in a moment. Also out of the midst thereof came the likeness of four living creatures, and this was their appearance. They had the likeness of a man. And every one had four faces, and every one had four wings. And again, we, we read this last week, and again, this is just reading it over. I'm going to comment on it again, as we did last time and add a few things to what we what we learned and uh, their feet were straight feet now literally in the hebrew it's it's talking about their legs their whole, their legs are just straight and then their feet are more described in the next phrase and the sole of their feet was like the sole of a calf's foot and they sparkled like the color of burnished brass And they had the hands of a man under their wings on their four sides. Hands. So there is, you know, hands are, are, are representative of, of action and things to be done. And so these creatures had things that they were assigned to do. And, uh, and, they, and they four had their faces and their wings. So... Again, this, this is really kind of a freaky picture. <laughs> you know, in our minds, you know, we're seeing pictures of faces all around, and, and we'll see even more as we go on. Look at verse uh, 9. It says, their wings were joined one to another, so somehow they were, they were all joined together by their wings, or they were just touching together in, in some formation. 
they turned not when they went. They went everyone straight forward. So they moved in concert together. Verse 10. As for the likeness of their faces, they four had the face of a man and the face of a lion on the right side. And they four had the face of an ox on the left side. They four also had the face of an eagle. Verse 11. Thus were their faces and their wings were stretched upward. Two wings of every one were joined one to another and two covered their bodies. Verse 11 is a very important verse. We'll get back to that in just a moment. I just want to read through this. Let's go on to the next verse. Verse 12. And they went, everyone straight forward, whither the Spirit was to go, they went. So as the Spirit, and, and of, certainly the reference of the Spirit of God is, is directing this, the, these, these four creatures, four living creatures, with all of this, all these faces and these wings, and, and, and we don't even know how to put that all together. People have drawn pictures. I could show you pictures. I think I mentioned this last week. I could show you a lot of pictures, and we would just sit here and say, wow, you know, which one's right? You know, I, uh, we, we would just have to say that this is just what Ezekiel is seeing, and he's describing it, and he's writing it down as, as, as he sees it, as God gives him that that wisdom to see it. Uh, and, but notice again, they, they went, everyone straight forward, whither the Spirit was to go, they went, and they turned not when they went. In other words, they didn't you know, struggle this way or that way, they, they just moved together as the Spirit led them. Verse 13, it says, As for the likeness of the living creatures, their appearance was like burning coals of fire and like the appearance of lamps. It went up and down among the living creatures, and the fire was bright, and out of the fire went forth lightning. And the living creatures ran and returned as the appearance of a flash of lightning. And so, again, light is lightning and flashing, and all of that is a part of their, of, of their makeup as far as the, uh, uh, the description goes that Ezekiel is giving us. Now, as we considered last time, these living creatures which we were told in chapter 10 are cherubim, a, a, a type of angel, and we'll talk the, of later on about cherubim and seraphim, but here they're called cherubim. Uh, they correspond to the four Gospels of the New Testament which testify of Jesus. Uh, we, said, we mentioned this last week. Let me just quickly give the review. Uh, each of the Gospels gives us one of those faces one of the four faces. For example, Matthew, uh, the face of the lion, because Matthew uh, teaches us and testifies of Jesus as the lion of Judah. And then the ox is uh, significant because it's, it's the gospel of Mark uh, teaching us of Jesus and testifying of Jesus as being the suffering servant the one who, who carries the burdens, you know, for, for us. Uh, Luke has the face of the man because Luke shows Jesus as the son of man. And if you remember that the genealogy uh, in, um, in Luke goes all the way back to Adam, who was the first man. In Matthew, the genealogy went, all, went, went to Abraham, you know. So Abraham, of course, was the father of the, of the Jewish people. And the Hebrews, and so uh, Jesus is the is the uh, line of Judah, and then comes John, and the eagle then is is the is the representation then of Jesus being not only the Son of God but God the Son. The 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 the, the, uh, the eagle is the one that that soars above all. In, in other words, the the majesty of God, the uh, uh, the sovereignty of God, as it were. And this is what the eagle represents in this case. But together they are, they are a complete represent representation of Jesus Christ. Now I told you that there's a similar picture given to us in the book of Revelation, so I'd like for you to turn to Revelation chapter 4. <coughs> Excuse me. <clears throat> Revelation chapter 4, verses 5 through 8. And here in Revelation chapter 4, in verse 5, again, we see so much common uh, descriptions 
There's, there's some distinctions. We're not going to deal with the distinctions tonight, but there are some distinctions. Nonetheless, it, it is the things that are similar that we need to focus our attention upon. For example, here in verse 5, and out of the throne. So what does the throne tell us? Well, we're in heaven. It's a heavenly scene. Out of the throne proceeds lightnings and thunderings and voices. And there were seven lamps of fire burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. So now we can, we can kind of tie that in, you know, when we're talking about fire and the holiness of God and the, and, and, and the means by which he brings judgment as being that which comes from God himself, the seven spirits of God. And then in verse 6 we're told, And before the throne there was a sea of glass like unto crystal, and in the midst of the throne and round about the throne were four beasts full of eyes before and behind. Now keep that in mind because in, in, the, in the next verses that we're going to read in Ezekiel, we're going to see some wheels with eyes, okay? So that's, that's coming up. And then in, uh, in verse 7, I'm thankful y'all are patient with me. I'm, I'm learning a whole new method here of doing things. So it takes a while. I hadn't even prepared for this tonight. This is brand new stuff for me, uh, as far as this little stuff I've got here in front of me. Uh, verse 7, the first beast was like a lion, notice, and the second beast like a calf, and the third beast had a face as a man, and the fourth beast was like a flying eagle. And there's the connection with Ezekiel, and the vision that Ezekiel saw, John saw it. In verse 8, And the four beasts had each of them six wings about him, and they were full of eyes within, notice. And they rest not day and night. They do not rest day and night, saying, Holy, holy, holy Lord God Almighty, which was and is and is to come. And we see that these cherubim are praising God. Or these beasts, as they're called here in the book of Revelation. But nonetheless, they, they, they are certainly coinciding with the, the, the uh, creatures that we see in the book of Ezekiel. Now we see a little bit more of what they're doing. They're before the throne of God. They're giving praise to the Lord, saying, holy, holy, holy. Where else do we see that phrase? Just keep it in mind. We'll get there in just a minute. But overall now, just getting back to these, uh, these beasts or these uh, creatures, their appearance signifies a number of things. Their appearance signifies a number of things. We've already looked at the gospel uh, uh, compliment uh, that uh, we, we just saw a little bit ago. But their appearance signifies a number of things. First of all, their appearance actually, even though it's kind of weird to us, it, it, it signifies simplicity and uprightness. Simplicity and uprightness. Everything is so clear. Not, not in the sense of what we understand, the, all the, if, if we understand all the faces and what they mean and everything like that. It is what they do, simple. Before God, they move with God. They move where the Spirit leads them. They do that. And then it is an uprightness. There's an uprightness to it. Because what it's signifying is that they are listening to God and they are obeying God. What was the problem with the... With the, uh, uh, the children of Judah. What was the problem with the, the children of Israel? What was the problem with all of Israel? They, 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 stopped, they stopped obeying God. They began to disobey God. They began to go on their own, do their own things. And God had to bring judgment upon them. So in these, in, in these uh, creatures, in these beasts, as it were, these angels, these cherubim, there's a simplicity about what they do, and there's an uprightness in how they do it. There's steadiness and firmness. They move. They don't, they don't ask questions. <laughs> they, they just move with, with God. There's a zeal in God's service and purity and holiness. There's a power and ability that, that, we, that is seen by, by the prophets and, and by, by the apostle. Uh, there's, there's a consistency and perseverance about their calling and their work. So from verses 11 and 12, we, we can add something else of great importance. And I, I, I told you about looking back at, at verse 11. But if you look back at verse 11 for just a moment, notice it says, thus were their faces. Now, the, the, this is very important. Their faces is, is important to the next phrase. The next phrase says, and their wings were stretched upward. 
Two wings of every one were joined one to another, and two covered their bodies. But the important thing is that phrase, and their wings were stretched upward. The, the real picture is that this is what they were doing. Their wings were stretched upward, and it gives us a picture of some indication that these cherubim were actively employed in executing God's commands. And then add the previous phrase concerning their faces, and the whole picture denotes a posture of attent uh, attentiveness, an attention to God, an attention to the God that they serve. And, and it brings to mind, first of all, that passage I was telling you that we're going to see in a minute, uh, Isaiah chapter 6, where they cry, holy, holy, holy. It is, all, it is also an attention of worship. It's an attentiveness to worship God. Well, we'll get to that in a moment. Turn to Psalm 103, verse 20. And notice here in Psalm 103, verse 20, that the psalmist says, Bless the Lord, you his angels, that excel in strength, that do his commandments, hearkening unto the voice of his word. So with that in mind, think again of that verse, verse 11 in, in chapter 1 of Ezekiel. And here, these, these angels have their, their wings stretched upward in attentiveness unto God. They are there below God, in essence, of, to serve God. So they are looking up to him in attentiveness, and they excel in strength. Therefore, they have strength to do whatever God's called them to do, and they do his commandments. They are obedient. And then, as I said, consider Isaiah's vision as well. Isaiah chapter 6, verse 1. It says, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw also the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up in his train, the train of his majesty, the train of, uh, you know, like a robe, his, his train filled the temple. He, this is, again, a vision. And then in verse 2, it says, Above it stood the seraphim. Now, here they're called seraphim, but nonetheless... We'll make the distinction later. But above it stood the seraphim. Each one had six wings. With twain he covered his face, which means two. With two he covered his face. And with two he covered his feet. And with two he did fly. And one cried unto another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. So we need to understand then what, what's happening here is, is, is that Ezekiel is seeing this happen, but he's seeing the characters, or the characteristics, I should say, of these cherubim, of these angels, as it were, these messengers of God, these, these creatures that, that represent more than just the vision of the glory of God, more than just the vision of the holiness of God, more than just the vision of the judgments of God because God is a just God, it also represents the fullness of the Messiah, Jesus Christ. We can't put that aside. We see it again in the, fa in the faces of each of those living creatures. Messiah, Jesus Christ. And as we go on in verse 15, we're going to read down to verse 25. Again, let's look at it as a whole. In Ezekiel 1, verse 15. If I can get this to work. Okay. Now as I beheld the living creatures, behold, one wheel upon the earth by the living creatures with his four faces. The appearance of the wheels... And their work was like unto the color of beryl. That's kind of a yellowish green color. Did I finish that verse? Go back, I'm sorry. You should see the words are about, the, the, the squares are about this big. They're looking like, okay. The appearance of the wheels and their work was like unto the color of beryl, and they had four and they four had one likeness. And their appearance and their work was, as it were, a wheel in the middle of a wheel. Interesting. I guess I move on now. Next verse. 
when they went, they went upon their four sides and they turned not when they went. As for their rings, they were so high that they were dreadful. And their rings were full of eyes round about them four. And when the living creatures went, the wheels went by them. And when the living creatures were lifted up from the earth, the wheels were lifted up. So where the creatures went, the wheels went, you know. And then in verse 20, it says, Whithersoever the spirit was to go, they went. Uh, thither was their spirit to go. In other words, that, that, there was their spirit to go. And the wheels were lifted up over against them, for the spirit of the living creature was in the wheels. Now, verse 21 is a long one, so I'll try to find where it is where it splits. When those went, these went. And when those stood, these stood. And when those were lifted up from the earth, The wheels were lifted up over against them, for the spirit of the living creature was in the wheels. Once again, the spirit was in the wheels. And the likeness of the firmament upon the heads of the living creature was as the color of the terrible crystal. Now, the, the terrible word terrible is really just the word awesome, okay? Just so, not terrible. King James the word terrible in the time of, of the King James in the 17th century, uh, as it were, was, was a word that was used, you know, for something that, that gave a, a sense of terror, in a sense, but, but it wasn't as bad as we use the word today, you know. Something's terrible, we say it's bad. Uh, in that case, it really meant it was, it had, you know, it, it would bring terror to your heart. Well, what brings more terror than seeing the fullness of of the living God and the things that he presents. So it's really the word awesome that, 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 um, uh, that is represented there. The likeness of the firmament upon the heads of the living creature was the color of the terrible crystal stretched forth over their heads above. And under the firmament were their wings straight, the one toward the other. Everyone had two which covered on this side and everyone had two which covered on that side their bodies. And they went, and when they went, I heard the noise of their wings like the noise of the great waters as the voice of the Almighty, the voice of speech, as the noise of a host. When they stood, they let down their wings, and there was a voice from the firmament that was over their heads when they stood and had let down their wings. Please don't expect some great, great explanation. I, I first of all, when I look at this wheel and the, the you know the description of the wheel and you know, a few different translations to get a little bit of a see if I can get a little bit of a picture of what we got going here. The wheel within a wheel could be a kind of gyroscopic representation. Even with Ezekiel's best description, it is what it represents that matters. In this case, the wheels are a clear picture of God's readiness to move anywhere to help his people. Again, it, it, it just seeing that it says it goes this way, it goes that way, it goes here, it goes there, and it goes in concert with, with all that is described. In this case, as I said, the, 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 the wheels are, are a picture of God's readiness. Well, God's always ready. There's never a time that God's sitting around waiting for us to, say, you know, to finally knock on his door. Oh, one of, my, one of my kids wants me or whatever. No, there's always a readiness. He, he knows what we need before we even ask. That's something for us to realize about this vision of God. The Lord is so ready to help that he never even takes time to turn. He just comes straight to where we are. He never, he never has to change his mind about what needs to be done for he knows exactly what is needed and he is ever ready to meet the, those needs. The eyes that are mentioned remind us that God sees everything and knows exactly when to move and where to go to help his people. 
God sees everything. The mention of the eyes. It's very important to understand. That this is one of the this is one of the attributes of God. He is omniscient. He is all knowing. God is an all knowing God. And if we need to say it, God is an all seeing God. He sees everything. Not just what we do, but even what we think. Even what's in our minds right now. Like, I know that some of you are saying, boy, Charlie's sure having a problem getting this thing going because, you know, with his little clicker, he was a lot faster and he could look. And we had a screen over there and I had a screen over here and I could just get right and get out of So he knows, he knows you're thinking. <laughs> just be careful what you're thinking about it. So the eyes mentioned remind us that God sees everything and he knows exactly when to move, when to help us, especially his own people especially Israel. From verse 21 and following, the prophet is describing the area around the throne of God. So as you, if, if you need to write anything down about the area from verse 21 down to verse 25, he's describing the area of the throne of God. Now we've already seen the mention of the throne in the book of Revelation. But consider now the vision of Daniel, because Daniel also had a vision. If you will, turn to uh, Daniel chapter 7, verses 9 and 10. And in Daniel 9... It says, uh, I'm sorry, in Daniel 7, verse 9, it says, I beheld till the thrones were cast down, and the Ancient of Days did sit, whose garment was white as snow, and the hair of his head was like pure wool. His throne was like the fiery flame, and his wheels as burning fire. A fiery stream issued and came forth from before him. Thousands or thousand thousands ministered unto him, and ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. The judgment was set and the books were open. That's quite a vision that Daniel was given of God in his, in his throne, the Ancient of Days. When all the other thrones, the thrones of the kingdoms of man, are brought down, when it comes down to it, there's only one throne that matters. And there's only one place where things begin to matter for eternity, and that is at the throne of God. So now think, we've seen what John has seen, we've seen what Daniel has seen, we are certainly seeing what Ezekiel is seeing, but what is going to be Ezekiel's reaction to what he sees? Well, let's keep reading then in verse 26, going back to Ezekiel chapter 1. And in verse 26, it says that above the firmament that was over their heads, was the likeness of a throne. Now, a firmament, remember, the firmament is really kind of a, kind of a space, or a, like, like a heavenly space, as it were. And above the firmament that was over their heads was the likeness of a throne. So now we see how, why, how and why the, 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 the wings were spread forward and spread up. Uh, because the firmament that was over their heads was the likeness of a throne as the appearance of a sapphire stone. And upon the likeness of the throne was the likeness as the appearance of a man above upon it. So again, his usage of the words, a likeness, because that's a, he's just telling us what he sees. What it looks like to him. Because it's too awesome to really be able to say any other thing about it. It's as, I mean, it's as plain as he can see it because that's what he sees, it. but it's, it's too great. Too awesome of a picture. To go beyond that description. And then verse 27. These are long verses, by the way. And I saw as the color of amber, as the appearance of fire round about within it, from the appearance of his loins, even upward, and from the appearance... And from the appearance of his loins, even downward, I saw as it were the appearance of fire, and it had, it had brightness round about it. And it's, it's kind of a continual description of what he's already seen in, in, uh, uh, in, in God, as far as the vision of God is concerned. But now it's more clear because it's in the appearance of a man. So this is a, what's called a Christophany, a, a, an appearance of Christ that can be seen, an appearance of Christ in the Old Testament. And then verse 28, 
another long verse. It says, as the appearance of the bow that is in the cloud in the day of rain, so was the appearance of the brightness round about. By the way, the bow is a rainbow. And just as the appearance of the rainbow in the cloud in the day of rain, so was the appearance of the brightness round about. This was the appearance, notice. This was the appearance of the likeness of the glory of the Lord. Now he tells us what he sees. It is the appearance of the likeness of the glory of the Lord. You can only see the likeness because it, 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 in essence, it, it, it's in a, in a vision because if he sees it for real in his own body at that time, he would be destroyed completely. Remember Moses and the glory of God when he sees him up on the mount to receive the law. But here's the response. And when I saw it, I fell upon my face and I heard a voice of one that spake. I have to say the people are so glib, so dismissive, at times so flippant these days. In, in other words, they're so shallow. Some people are so shallow about some of the quote-unquote visions that some people are having about God. where there's no reverence, no bowing before him. Why? More than likely, the vision they're receiving is not a vision of Jesus. It's not a true vision. Be careful when you hear, you know, about the latest book about this vision or that vision that somebody's had. Or, Well, I tell you what, there's all kinds of stuff on, on, on YouTube you know, YouTube can be a very good thing, but it can also be a very, very deceiving kind of place. Because if you don't check it out, if you don't discern the spirits that are on there, and I'll tell you what, there's a, there's a ton of them on YouTube, especially on these conspiratorial websites, you know, that, you know, they're trying to show you all kinds of stuff, and, you know, everybody and their mother's an antichrist or the antichrist. You know, you, you just, you know, it's like, oh, man. You know, it's, it's more confusing than it is helpful. And you know what? God is not the author of confusion. God is not the author of confusion. God is holy. Holy, holy. And we're not. We need to remember our approach to God has to be one of reverence. It has to be one of respect. It has to be one of awe, giving him all the glory that is due his name, giving him the honor that he deserves. We have to check our hearts about that. It's not about God being, you know, the man upstairs or our buddy-buddy or this, this or that, you know. No, God is holy. Even his name is so holy that his own people, the Jewish people, don't even pronounce his name. They, they don't want to. It's too holy to pronounce. So they, they call him Hashem, the name. The name. We can learn a lot about how we approach God from his people and from his word. Everything continues on from here. He's fallen on his face because of what he's seen. But look at, look at verse 1 of chapter 2. And yes, we're going to make it. Don't worry. We'll make it before next week. And he said unto me, Son of man, stand upon thy feet and I will speak unto thee. And the Spirit entered into me when he spake unto me and set me upon my feet that I heard him that spake unto me. And he said unto me, Son of man. Notice that he calls him Son of man. I'll explain that in a moment. He said unto me, Son of man, I send thee to the children of Israel, to a rebellious nation that has rebelled against me. 
They and their fathers have transgressed against me even unto this very day. What is that telling you? If you know that they're already in captivity because they were being judged for having disobeyed and being, been rebellious and they're taken all the way to Babylon, don't you think they would have said, oh man, Lord, <laughs> boy, we blew it, we blew it. Oh Lord, forgive us, forgive us, Lord. We, they haven't learned their lesson yet. That's the, that's the picture here. They and their fathers have transgressed against me even unto this very day. For they are impudent children and stiff-hearted. I do send thee unto them. And thou shalt say unto them, Thus saith the Lord God. Ezekiel, you're my prophet. I am going to send you to these impudent stiff-hearted children of mine. And you're going to tell them, thus saith the Lord God. And they, whether they will hear or whether they will forbear, for they are a rebellious house, yet shall know that there has been a prophet among them. Now remember, they had so many other false prophets around them, that's probably all they thought they had. And all those other prophets were saying, thus saith the Lord. But they didn't say it with the authority of the prophet that comes from God himself. In verse 6, And thou, son of man, be not afraid of them, neither be afraid of their words, though briars and thorns be with thee, and Thou dost dwell among scorpions. Be not afraid of their words, nor be dismayed at their looks, though they be a rebellious house. And thou shalt speak my words unto them, whether they will hear or whether they will forbear, for they are most rebellious. But thou, son of man, hear what I say unto thee. Be not thou rebellious like that rebellious house. Don't be like them. Open thy mouth, and eat that I give thee. When I looked, behold, a hand was sent unto me, and lo, a roll of a book was therein, a roll, a scroll, a scroll of the Word of God. And he spread it before me, and it was written within and without. In other words, it was written on both sides of the scroll. And there was written therein lamentations and mourning and woe. The very thing that they, that they were needing to hear from God through this prophet, the lamentations, the mourning, the woe, in other words, the responses of judgment. The responses of judgment. We find Ezekiel being called by God the Son of Man, and that term, Son of Man, is used 93 times in the book of Ezekiel. 93 times. Significant. The prophet was to walk as a noble, honorable man among humanity. It's a little bit different than being called the Son of Man. In other words, Jesus being called the Son of Man, whereas Ezekiel is being called the Son of Man. But there is a, there is a similarity in a sense, as you'll see in a moment. As I said, the prophet was to walk as a noble, honorable man among humanity. He was to be the ideal man. What did we say about Jesus last week? Jesus is the ideal man. That's why he's called the Son of Man. But Ezekiel was also to be an ideal man to his people who had rebelled against God. He was to be a pattern for others to follow. Folks, some of us, if not all of us, as believers in Jesus Christ, need to always remember that we are a pattern that someone is going to follow. 
And if someone knows that we are believers in Jesus Christ and we are not following the pattern of Christ ourselves, what are they seeing in our lives? What are we projecting to them? Oh, if I had time, I could. Yeah. I know I got into talking about Donald Trump last week. I was going to do some more, but I don't have time. The Lord was now calling him to serve him, calling Ezekiel to serve the Lord. And, and so the prophet was to be a true son of man, one who set an ideal pattern of righteousness and faithfulness to God, a dynamic example for others to follow. It's hard to believe, but even at this point, as they are captives in Babylon, the people remained hard-hearted. They remained rebellious toward God. The Lord is telling him, I'm sending you to these stubborn people. You realize this was not going to be an easy ministry, nor would it be an easy path, primarily because the people were not going to be interested in what he had to say. They'd rather have their ears tickled. So, the Lord tells Ezekiel, don't be discouraged and don't be fearful. That's the same message for us as believers today. Don't be discouraged. Don't be fearful. And let me add one more thing. Don't be angry. Don't be angry. The presidential race today in this country, right now, if you hear every pundit that is talking about what's going on in both parties, it's all about anger. It's all about be, being angry about what we've had. Well, I can understand after the last seven years. But it's not anger that matters. It's faithfulness to God. It's being a discerner of spirits as being wise about the things that we need to be as believers, and we are to be light to this world and salt to this earth. That's what we need to be. And we don't need to be discouraged, and we don't need to be afraid. We need to stand fast in the courage that is given to us by the power of the, Lord, of the Holy Spirit. In verses 9 and 10, this seems to be a scroll of judgment against a rebellious people, many who were now in captivity in Babylon. And yes, there are many blessings found in God's word, but there are also woes. There are also judgments that also need to be shared. People need to understand the consequences of sin. And you know where that needs to begin? It has to begin first in the house of God. It has to begin first with God's people. It has to begin with us. We need to understand the consequences of sin. We need to understand that it was sin that separated us from God. And we should never take for granted what, what Jesus did on the cross for us. We should never take it for granted. In closing here tonight, <clears throat> it would be appropriate to return to Psalm 40. I quoted this last week, but I want to give you two more verses around the verse that we looked at last week in describing how Jesus really was the very center of the description of, of those, of those uh, uh, creatures that had the face of, of a man, the face of, of, of a lion, the face of, a, of, of, a, of an ox, and the face of an eagle. Uh, it's Psalm 40, verses 6 through 8. So let's, let's pick up there. Sacrifice and offering thou didst not desire. Mine ears hast thou opened, burnt offering and sin offering hast thou not required. Then said I, lo, I come in the volume of the book it is written of me. Jesus said, this is about me. From Genesis to Revelation, this whole Testament, you know, which is not just the New and Old Testament, it's the whole of the Testament, testimony of Jesus Christ from Genesis to Revelation. He says, the volume of the book is written of me. I delight to do thy will, O my God. Yea, thy law is within my heart. And as we will learn the book of Ezekiel, the Lord is going to bring 
his law into the very hearts of his people. But before he even does that, he's already brought his word and his law into our hearts by faith. And I hope and pray that your heart is filled with the word of God. Remember that Ezekiel, the name means God will strengthen. God is strength. God is our strength. Let him always be your strength. In good times and bad, in weakness, and even when we are victorious in life, we, we need to remember the strength is not us, it's him. It's him. When we get back to uh, the next chapter here in the book of Ezekiel, things will get better. How we do things, how I do things here. We're going to get used to this new method. Um, the other thing too is we're going to be a little bit more... Uh, I don't want to say in-depth because I don't want to make this sound like we're going to, you know, we'll be here until the rapture of the church or, or you know, if the Lord tarries, you know, until the 22nd century. It's not going to take that long. We, we need to move quickly through the book of Ezekiel, so we're going we're gonna to go through as many chapters as we can at one time, but, I, I, but we're going to be a little bit more clear about things. This was hard. You understand how hard it was to, to look at this and say, what does it all mean? Well, the secret things belong to the Lord. But what the Lord has revealed, hey, that's all good for us. So what we try to reveal from it, may we take that and grow in the love of Christ. Amen.